the solution to all problems, however we want to language that solution, however we want to refer to that ultimate source of goodness, of power, of love, of joy, of truth, of light, of healing, whether we want to refer to that being as God or as the Buddha nature or as the goddess or as any of the many names, personal and impersonal, from Brahman to Krishna to Shiva to Ein Sof to any of the names of God in any of the religious traditions or the esoteric traditions that have proceeded through history to continue the knowledge that the exoteric lineages might not have wanted to be understood because freedom and empowerment were too threatening to a social order that required uh, submission. But all of those words, whatever they are, none of them truly touch the infinite grandeur, glory, beauty, and goodness of God, of the self. And so whatever word you're comfortable with is fine, and ultimately we refer only with our hearts to the wordless presence that is always with us, in us, and that abides as the self. People who first begin the spiritual journey tend to think of the God-Self in the third person as some far distant absolute or some supreme one beyond the phenomenal plane, unreachable, unimaginable, some inconceivable and possibly even non-existent source of being, the watchmaker who wound up the universe and then left it alone and in its own device. People have this kind of a third-person approach. And then gradually, as they enter more into a devotional attitude, then their relation to God becomes to the second person. God becomes thou, the beloved, the merciful, the friend, the mother, the father. All relations that bring upliftment, warmth, joy, stability becomes the the mode of relationality between the self with a small s and God. But that ultimately in the last lap of the journey, there is a dawning realization that God must be referred to in the first person. God cannot be other than the I am, cannot be other than one's own self because nothing else but the power of God can be animating us, can be governing the supreme intelligence that enables such a holographic cosmos to appear and to organize itself with such emergent properties 
that there can be a return to the source and that all the forces of the world ultimately merge, converge toward that source at a certain moment in time after the exhaustion of the egoic civilizations and the loss of hope and the loss of energy and the loss of creative power to think our way out of the very dead-end situation that society and the planetary civilization has managed to create such that now there is no hope for any of us except God. At the very moment that the materialistic, scientistic paradigm and the hegemonic view of the world as nihilistic has come into play, it is at that moment that, of course, the luminosity and supreme splendor of God must reappear. And it is that, the hunger, the thirst, the lack, the need for such support that can only be satisfied not by belief, not even by faith, but only by direct realization that must be sought despite one's own resistances, one's own disbelief, one's own agnosticism. Despite all of that, there is no way forward in life except to move toward that unknown and unknowable self, unreachable by language, by thought, by conceptualization, but completely knowable by the heart, completely knowable as love. And so although it is a cliche to say that love is God, it is nonetheless the truth. But for many, love is as distant and unknowable and people are as much agnostic about the reality of love as they are about God because so many today have been raised in dysfunctional family systems which offered only very toxic versions of love that were not at all true love. Or if there was love, it was love directed only to an object, to another, for possession and control, for empowerment, for codependence for all of the various psychological crutches that people tend to use each other for. And that always fails. And thus people come here with a broken heart, perhaps broken many times, in which they feel that love has failed. But isn't it the case really that the ego has failed love? because of its inability to be consistently directed toward the truth of its substratum, the substance of the universe. is not made of matter. Quantum physics knows that well enough and has taught that to all who are willing to study the latest science. We know that the world's substance is mind, but it's not mind in an empty, barren, conceptualized form as the ego uses it to propel its own ambitions forward. No, it's mind in the sense of the heart-mind of God. The substance of the universe itself is love. We are made of love. Our very essence is love. 
and yet we have become afraid of love. We are threatened by love because we have been hurt by what we took for love that wasn't love. But it is love and love alone that can heal our souls and that can bring us peace. In fact, there can be no emotional stability that is not based upon God's love. And once we understand that, once we understand that the kind of love that we're talking about is not a love that pertains to a subject and an object, it is love without an object, in the same sense that we speak of consciousness without an object. We speak of presence in itself. And if one withdraws one's attention from its external focus, and returns to the one within, to the self, to the source of perception, the source of feeling, the source of intuition, the source of all knowing. If one gets to that source, one knows love in itself. Not love for another, not love from another, but love in its own true essential nature. And that is the portal to the absolute. There is no other. It is the splendor of absolute love that brings us beyond lack, beyond need, beyond multiplicity, because that love unites everything one perceives as part of the same substance. It recognizes the unity of all. It recognizes the sameness within the difference. It is that love that makes us pure, that makes us holy, that releases the toxic residues of traumas and of defenses against further traumas and opens our hearts again to receive the love that we are thirsty for. And so it is the return to the willingness to receive God's love that is the only path of healing and the only thing that can replace all of the crutches that people depend on otherwise, whether those crutches are addictions to tobacco or alcohol or other drugs, or to people or to erotic situations that bring stimulation, or other sensory kinds of modalities that give a cheap thrill of energy that soon passes into shame and guilt and despair. People choose all kinds of ways to try to build up their power to live, their will to live, because it's nearly exhausted in everyone. But at some point, the only way forward is inward. The only way to move toward God is to stop moving in the physical world and to stop moving one's mind toward objects of desire. It is the stopping of the movement that is the journey to God. It is the unmoving presence of the power of love that saves and that removes us from all of the agitation of a self-created energy field of fear, of desire, of lack, of the dread 
of a meaningless existence and the terror of a death that cannot be avoided. But once one has found the fountain of love within, one fears no longer any death, for love is deathless. And one fears nothing in life. And one understands that this life and this world is a dream. And that the only protection can come from the power of the dreamer. Can't come from money, can't come from guns, can't come from any other forms of self-protection. All of those only create more fear. The only solution, the only way out is to find that very core of our being that proves to be divine, that proves to be made of love and light, and that proves to be always in a state of perfect rest. There is no movement in God. God is absolute simplicity, silence, stillness, transcendent of space and time and thought. And yet, the absolute fullness from which all that moves, all that exists, all that manifests, emerges, emanates, and expresses in its very otherness from God, in its very separation from God, the creation manifests God in all forms. The formless pervades the forms of the world. The formless fills us with that power that gives the potential for all creative intelligence, for all of the ability for the organismic presence to be in harmony with that supreme intelligence that enables us to live in grace and to be free of all the psychological problems that plague us, which cannot be released or removed by any other means than this one panacea of the primordial state of realization of the oneself. When there is love, there is no need for any techniques of meditation. And if there is no love, then no techniques will be of any avail. And so this retreat will not be teaching you mantras or breathing methods or counting your inhalations and exhalations or any of those methods that you have probably already learned in many other places anyway, and they didn't get you much closer to God. And so the approach here is to feel what it's like to be in love. I know everyone feels love. Some may only feel it for their pets. Some may feel it for certain relatives. Some may feel it for other particular beings. 
But if you can withdraw your love from the limited object upon which it has been projected and feel the energy of love itself, you'll discover two things. That you didn't really love the object, you loved what you projected into the object, which was a fantasy that that object, whether a person or a being of whatever kind, or a, a, a thing, an object could be a chemical, it could be a cigarette, could be anything, that it will somehow symbolize the source of love. Freud would say the cigarette symbolizes the breast of the mother and one inhales the nipple and takes in the loving kindness that had been lost since infancy. Regardless of whatever it is that one has used as one's object to stabilize oneself in a moving world, that love, once it returns to the self, is recognized not only as having been originally created by the object, but projected on it out of a fantasy, not out of any real qualities of the object itself. But it also wasn't projected by the ego, but through the ego, by some force within us deeper than the ego, because the ego has no love. The ego has no power either to give or receive love. And so what love does is change us, and that's why people love to be in love, because you become a different person when you're in love. Why? Because you touch into something deeper within yourself than the ego. And you project that depth of the self on the other. Even though you may be relating to the other as a bodily being, what you're loving in the other and in the self that is receiving love and finally feeling worthy of love is the love that comes from the one source of love. And so that's why everyone loves love. It's what brings us as close to God as the ego can ever come. But the ego cannot consistently remain in a state of love because its very projections are based upon duality, are based upon not love, but desire. And you see, desire is a degraded form of love. And desire enters into the mind when it is projected that the object of love is not within reach. And then, therefore, it cannot be directly love. It must be desired to be possessed first, you see. But then the fear that it will leave, it will abandon you or reject you. There is always a paranoia that accompanies the desire that will eventually become a situation in which the object, once it is possessed, will be recognized as not what one was seeking and the desire will fall away but will not be replaced by love, but by indifference and rejection, because one will have lost touch with love as one loses touch with its projection. And this is the psychological hell realm of the ego. It cannot maintain love, and it cannot fulfill itself in this realm, and it always ends in disappointment and devastation because it ties love to the body and to sexuality and to all of the intricacies of relationality that cannot be sustained at a high enough level to enable the power of our pure beingness 
to be interchanged and united at a level that transcends individual difference. And so the only way out of this trap of the impossibility of love, of the il n'y a pas de rapport, sexuel or personnel or any kind of rapport, the impossibility of relationality in love from within the ego frame of reference can only be healed when we let go of that frame of reference and recognize that the I am has nothing to do with an ego, nothing to do with a body, nothing to do with a physical, localizable entity. But that what the words I am stand for is an unknowable mystery, a presence that can never be grasped because it is not an object, not a thing. But that no thing contains, encompasses, and loves all. And so the nothing and the everything are one, but they are one only once the ego illusion has fallen away. And the purity of presence in all of its emanational power that comes unobstructed from the source enables us to know ourselves, to know the self behind the masks of the ego with that absolute purity of knowledge, gnosis, jnana, that comes only when all intentionality has fallen away. And it's in the perfect stillness of being rather than doing and trying to have and possess, the letting go of the effort to grasp, to own, to possess has left us in the, in the absolute being bereft of all egoic hope comes the fulfillment of the deepest yearning of the soul for salvation through love. And so this retreat is about that. It's a retreating inward to the heart and remaining consistently in and as the heart without falling into the illusion that the ego's thoughts are your thoughts. They are not. They were imposed from without all of the thoughts that go through the ego mind were given to you by a social system, by an order that demanded that you think of yourself as a bodily being and you obey certain rules and you follow certain ways of approaching reality that fit in and adapt to the social order's one-dimensionality and that you forget about the depth dimension of your being. And so we must now remember that depth dimension, that depth that encompasses all of space and time as an eternal now, and thus has no need for a future, for desire, and no loss in some past that cannot be recouped, but is fully present with all of the power of that source, that transcends all manifest forms 
and has no need and no lack, but abides in the blissful solitude of God-consciousness and emanates goodness to all elements of its own creation with great and infinite and unconditional joy. This is our natural state I'm describing. It's nothing different from what you are already at this moment and have already been always. It's nothing that you have to gain anew. It's nothing that you have to learn. It's nothing you have to study. It is what you are. And so it's by stopping the movement of trying to get something or somewhere it is by abiding here and now in the unmoving self, the unthinking intelligence, the all-knowing heart, that there is immediate and instant liberation. It cannot be in the future because there is no future. If there is still a future, if you're in Kronos time, then you're in the very illusion that must be overcome through the silencing of the mind. Because time is an artifact of thought. The whole world is just made of your own consciousness. There is nothing outside of yourself. And it is that recognition that this is your dream and you are the dreamer of it. Not a victim of it, not a creature, not some bystander who found themselves by accident in some strange world. No, none of that. You are dreaming and creating and affecting the transformation of your own consciousness and of the world that is you writ large in every moment. And the world responds absolutely perfectly to every vibrational frequency that emerges from your heart. If love emerges, love will return. If fear emerges, something to be afraid of will return. If joy emanates, the joy will be shared. And so the solution to the problems of life is very, very simple. Live in that state of blissful love that is your true nature and never leave it. Never forget who you are. Nothing more. There is no secret. But in that love, all the secrets of the Supreme Intelligence will be given in order to be able to use that creative power of the intelligence that brought this universe into being in order to resolve the issues of suffering for our entire planet which is in need of the repair and restoration of the web of life that humans have destroyed in their egoic irreverence for life.
And so it is our own karmic salvation from the consequences of malfeasance in this and prior lifetimes that must now be compensated by living in unconditional and absolute love so that the planetary heart can be restored to wholeness and the goddess Gaia can be done with all of her volcanic vomiting out of the residues of human hatred and can restore the world to a kingdom of heaven because that is what we all wish to dream and to be and cannot do so so long as there is any poison left in our own hearts. So I hope this will be a retreat in which we feel that love within and we abide in the silence and the healing power of that love until all residues of trauma, of pain, of suffering, of anger, of fear, of whatever negative feeling states have become standing waves, shock waves within the body as symptoms of suffering, as illness, or mental and emotional symptoms of instability, depression, anxiety, whatever, all of those psychopathologies are healed simply through the installation of love as the nature of our being fully awakened and emergent. Love for the body that enables the cells of the body to get the message to live, to thrive, to flourish, to be healthy. All healing is spiritual because all dis-ease is psychosomatic. And so the healing of all problems, all suffering, whether physical, mental, or social, political, cosmic, planetary, geophysical, whatever, they all respond to love. But there must be a strong enough and consistent enough energy field of love that has no conditionality, that emanates as a hyperdimensional sphere that reaches to infinity, that enables all that is contained in that field of love to be healed. And this is the function of the human soul at the end of the age to enable the restoration of the world and a new kalpa, a new cycle of time to begin. We are at that point of the singularity, the Alpha and the Omega as a single point. And we must pass through the portal of this point that is the ultimate test of the purity of every soul. And it's only the union with God that enables us to pass this test.
So I'm sure that this information is not new to anyone, and I'm sure that you have come here in order to bring it from a conceptual and symbolic representational field into the field of actuality, to realize this by fully embodying love, divine love, by fully embodying, emanating, and enacting love as grace, as goodness, as joy, as the recognition of beauty, of that beauty of the formless self that is eternal and uplifting and the power of healing that comes with the unity of truth and love as a single whole. This retreat is not about words, although there will be teachings to help conceptualize and go beyond whatever doubts and resistances there might be, to use the power of reason in order to create coherence in the mind that eliminates the obstructions of resistant fragments of the ego that are still terrified of love. But it is love itself that is the goal and the means because it is the truth of who you are, who we are as a single whole. And so may we move beyond the differences from which we have come, from different cultures and different premises and different genders and ages and all the different categories that the mind will use to separate itself from the other and see the sameness, the oneness, the zeroness within all so that there will be no barriers to love in this energy field of this retreat. And all will be able to receive the love in its fullness and its total power and to share it and to experience the bliss that comes when we bathe fully to the point of complete saturation and absorption in that supreme energy of God's love.